If we don't do this now, bad things could happen to the company. Or how much of an inference do you think you really need to understand what you should do? There, there's a reason why we have a process, because a large company is a machine, right? If a startup is just fireworks, a large company is the warehouse that's churning out the fireworks, and then it goes up, churning out the fireworks, and it's very methodical. The It's almost like an art form of how to get things done. And I wonder if bigger companies could then leverage the same mindset. I, I miss those days of, listen, we all understand the problem. User research, but you know, I hate to say it, but there is a place at which this beautiful UX flow, it's not gonna work, guys. We, we gotta speed it up and get to the end. How has design shaped you? Ooh, that's a very meta question. How has design shaped me? Hello and welcome again to the Shaping Design Podcast, where we help you get better at design through story strategies and tactics. I'm your host, Mitchell Bernstein. And today we have, again, Blake Everingham, a very special guest, friend of the pod, uh, returning to the pod to go over a couple of other things that I thought were really necessary for you to understand, uh, something that took me quite a while to wrap my head around. But uh, we went a lot over tools versus process, uh, guerrilla research, really just figuring out what you need to know so that you have an instinct of what to make for the business or whatever you're designing. We also go over something that I think is one of the most important lessons that I have yet to implement, but since recording this episode, I have started implementing it, and I think it's actually vastly improved my skill set. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. So without further ado, Blake Everingham. So I think it's interesting what you just brought up, and I'll let you reiterate in a minute, but basically people... People have, uh, like, they, they're very touchy about what they associate themselves with because they want other, they want to, like, kind of radiate out who they are to everyone in, in, in a way that they're in control of it. And sometimes they're not, but it's just so interesting that when you brought that up that you just, like, realize after the fact, oh, this hack, you know, maybe represents something that I am not. I don't want to be associated with it, but it turns out it's fine, you know, and... Well, I would, I would actually ask you the question. Uh, so, so basically, before we just started recording, you said that you went out and bought a hat, and the hat you didn't know really anything about the hat because you liked the logo on it, and then you looked it up afterwards, thinking, "Oh wait, what did I buy?" And then you're mm-hmm. like, "Oh, I like it." So, what happened? What would have happened if you didn't like what you found after the fact of buying the hat? Um. I don't know, actually, because I've never <laughs> been in a, no, no, no. I mean, like, I've never been in a position where I bought something and it's like, oh my God, I had no idea the messaging was this uh, compared to just, you know, something innocuous or something, whatever. Um, it kind of depends on the, on what I were to look at. If it was blatant and there was no, like you had talked about like, hey, listen, you know, Volkswagen, IBM, you know, th- those are companies that through through just the sheer nature of being associate, you know, being in, in proximity of, you know, something very terrible like World War II on that side. But, you know, thousands of jobs, employees, they keep moving. You got to keep paying bills. And, and the company just slowly morphs into something that it, it that it, it was it's not that anymore. There's a little bit of a grain of salt, right? Like, well, we just got to keep moving forward. Like, I, I seriously doubt there are neo-Nazis walking around everywhere in these companies, you know, like you have to take it with a grain of salt. 
I think people are very reactionary. And I think I have become, even though I'm in my forties and I can be disgruntled and be like, oh, it didn't used to be like this anymore. I mean, I think to a degree, it's good to somewhat uh, pay attention to the things that you're putting out there. That's a good thing. Um, if, if, if there was a scenario where like this, this company, you know, ended up, you know, doing really atrocious things. I think, I, I, I think it comes down to your own personal level of, of, of sensitivity or how uncomfortable it's going to make you feel, you know? And, and a lot of that is how you out, outwardly kind of express yourself, right? Like, you know, it's put on like, you know, something else. I, I would probably be about as tolerant as, as you or anyone else in, in the sense that it's like, this company, you know, 70, 80 years ago did something, but now here we are. And, um, you know, a lot changes, you know, 80 years is a long time for, you know, the turnover of folks who work in a company, are they still doing bad things or are they doing great things? I don't know. It, to me, it's like, uh, one thing we, we don't seem to do, we're very good at reacting, but we're, we're not very good at digging in and actually reading the full story around something. So maybe there's that, but who knows, man? I, I, I don't know. At the end of the day, it was, it's just a hat that I bought and I looked them up. And I was like, oh, this, thing, this seems like, like a cool company. So luckily it worked <laughs> out. Luckily it worked. That was a total non-answer, by the way. I, I don't know, man. I really don't. Everyone's super react, reactionary on X, formerly Twitter. Even, even social media has its own stories now. It's ridiculous. Well, I think now people are more reactive on X because they're trying to make money and the more clicks and views you get, the more ads for ad revenue you can kind of draw in so i think there's more of a spike in certain types of content and a reduction in other content also the algorithms being changed i've, I've read recently that um some people are doing tests where they're getting more performance on linkedin than they are on twitter now for the same exact thing and that's really mm. interesting because the organic growth is more powerful now on linkedin according to some of these folks versus uh twitter or x so We'll see how Elon plays it out there. Um, but I guess just to kind of wrap up that discussion, uh, it it all depends. And like you said, it depends on the person's sensitivity, uh, how they feel, how they would react to it. In my opinion, I think a lot of people are overreacting and are oversensitive these days to everything. Um, this could be because of a heightened introduction to sensitivity somehow. And there's obviously a trigger that is causing that. Uh, we don't have to get into that now, but it it seems evident to me that there are complaints about things that are not really something we should be complaining about, and they're things that we should be more thankful for. Um, but then at the same time, there are companies that are promoting how good they are and are doing quite bad, right? Right. Um, there's companies that lie; they put out fake data, and then you know, we all suffer from that, uh, not knowing the data that should have been released or has been hidden from us. And then we have to make decisions based on false data, which I think is really horrible. But anyways, uh, Blake, welcome again to the pod. <laughs> What's up, man? How are you doing? Hi, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right. Um, some things better than others. Um, doing like more biohacking shit. I don't know if you, you're familiar with a lot of kind of stuff, Brian Johnson and um, Peter Tia I've read a little and, bit about it, but I, I've never dug below the surface of it. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, many years ago, we were sitting in the same office together and you turned to me and you were like, 
you know, like the secret to working out and getting big. And I was like, why are you telling me this? But then you told me and you said, you have to take the the, the weight and you have to lower it really slow. And you've like, like oh, just... I remember this conversation. <laughs> Holy cow, man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I that like stuck out to me for so long. And so I didn't do anything with the information. I kind of, I sort of had that in my mind when I was like, working out here and there, but I was never serious about it. And now I'm like super serious about it because I, I did blood work recently. Okay. And my doctor didn't give me all the blood work that I wanted to get done, all the, all the different um, measurements yeah. and, and points. So I went to somebody else and I had them finish the rest of it. And there's things that are really good. And then there's things that are beyond horrible. And I'm like, oh, oh my God, I didn't know how messed up my internals were and I look great on the outside. I sometimes feel better than other days, right? Just like any other human would. But I feel like there's a level I have not unlocked. And now that I understand there's reasons why, I'm trying to fix those things. So um, eating way healthier, um, you know, cutting out all the seed oils, cutting out all the you know shitty food, uh, and, and doing a lot more home cooking, uh, working out a lot more, mm-hmm. and uh, cold plunging. See, I haven't done that yet, um, and I, I was just—I was just going to say, you know, that, you know, congrats to you, man, for for doing that because <laughs> um, I've done that a little bit, but I'm very much like, and, and it, it, it sounds like we're on a fitness, you know, podcast all of a sudden, yeah, like, like I know sudden. what I'm talking about. Um, but uh, um, full yeah, disclosure, it, it always, full disclosure, neither one of us are health experts. Go we, consult your doctor or we are physician. <laughs> We are two designers talking about fitness. So for the love of God, please do your own research. Yes, yeah. please. Um, you know, it, it's interesting too, because, you know, up until like six, seven, eight years ago, you know, doing blood work and, and biohacking, you know, whatever. I, I haven't heard that term, but, you know, to just basically digging deeper into understanding how your body operates. That was never a thing. It, it, at least not at a level where most people could do it. It was something where you have to pay a lot of money. So I never thought about it. But what's interesting and this is not a knock at all. This is great, man. I mean, you definitely learn, and I, I should too. Um, I, I did blood work maybe two or three years ago around, because I was having like a lot of like uh, stomach issues. Um, and part of it was stress. It's just life, right? Like, you know, and, and that's great, both great and horrible to hear. Well, damn, that I got to dig into stress. That's a whole other thing. But then I also learned that I was just very overly sensitive to certain foods, and so you learn, right? Like, you know, in 50 years, had I never done that, and in another 50 years, if I had never done that test, I would have never known and probably just felt kind of, kind of poopy for the rest of my right. life in certain times. Um, but what you said was, was interesting because I always, I am the type of person that I try to do a lot of research, but then I fall back on what I know works. It's like the, the tried and true, and, and you kind of bake in a little bit into, so eating healthy, duh. Right. We all know how to eat healthy, um, working out, right? Like if you were to work out for six months, you kind of know, and you know, I think your, your father, uh, is very much into fitness and you have a little bit of a background where you can fall back on that. Right. Um, but just working out in general, this, you know, we've learned like that's, that's, that's good for you. So even though you said I'm doing some biohacking, the result of it is like, yeah, I'm eating healthier and I'm, I'm working out. And it's like, oh, the base level stuff is still stuff that you should, like, we, we go off in, in the stratosphere and it's like, listen, I need to eat eight almonds, 12 ounces of water, and then I have to eat an apple in that order. 
And so, okay, all right, that's great. But, you know, just working out and eating healthy, that I like, I think is like 60, 70, 70, 80% of just getting your body to a place where at least you know you're not doing horrible things where you're going to cut five years off the end of your life by eating junk food. And I think that, you know, right now it's hard to say how much you will really want those five years. You're probably like, oh, this is five more years, whatever. I have a hundred <laughs> years in total, right? But you're then right. you get to the point, you're like, oh no, I want five more years. But um, just to expand on what I said about biohacking, you know, honestly, working out and eating healthy is not really biohacking. In a way, it really is, but it's not considered it traditionally. Okay. So I also, you know, try and do the supplementing and also um, playing with sleep, trying to get that fixed again, just back off and off recently, but, um, and trying to do other things that would increase mobility, um, strength, endurance, stability, everything. Um, mm -hmm. so that's where I really, I consider it all biohacking. And I know that you and I have a, a, a passion for creating something in that space. Um, I want to know, have you made any progress in that? Yeah. So, um, so I kind of got, got my footing in my, in my new role at smart red. And then I, I'm the type of person that I have to compartmentalize things. I have friends that can jump from thing to thing very well throughout the day. Excuse me. And, uh, I can't do that. Um, I'm just not, I'm not wired that way. I, I it's kind of like work Blake and then, you know, freelance, whatever you want to call like the, you know, the, the fitness app, that mighty thing that I'm working Free on. Freebird. Like. Freebird, right. <laughs> that, and then, you know, there's family me, and then there's, you know, like I can't. So I was able to kind of come to a place where work has kind of, you know, it's like you learn your role, you settle in, you get the rhythms going, you feel comfortable. Um, and now I'm in a, I, I'm in a place where I've kind of like structured my, and this is me, right? Like, I, I'm not saying this is the right way to do it, but for me, being able to like literally on my calendar, carve out mm -hmm. two hours of time where I close my door and I work on just that. And it's like, I always say it's amazing how much you can get done in two hours. If you turn off everything, including Slack, text, everything, shut your door. I mean, if my kids are screaming outside, I might peek out and be like, it run okay. But <laughs> shutting your door and, and working. So sorry, long story short. Um, yes, I have kind of, this was an eight, nine year old. So dusting it off and, you know, starting to update it and also start pulling in, you know, like things that we didn't have eight, nine years ago, like, uh, or just, just new, new concepts. Like what would I want to be able to do to hit one button, put my phone down. And then when I pick it up, I would love my, my phone to be literally like, Hey, why are you looking at me? Fuck you go work out. Right. Like put it down. Like these kind of the, these interactions, you know, I've started thinking about more. So taking the base level of just the, what I, what I built, and then starting layering on kind of, you know, what, what, I, what I would want today, but also everything I've learned in the last 10 years of product design. So it's slow, it's slow going, but it's fun. It's, it's coming together I'll, you know, offline. I'll, I'll definitely show you some stuff. Love that. No, I love that. Yeah. That's great. I'm happy for you. I can't wait to see what it looks like and, and how it, it works. Love to be your first beta tester. Um, but you're just doing like right now the visual design, right? Uh, so I mean, I, I am... I am going through the process of UX. I, I, I am not acting like I, I'm a good product manager where I can sit down and write the ACs and the recs and everything. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. It's all in my head, but I am taking the necessary, whereas eight, nine years, it's funny too, because you, you see a project you did 10 years ago 
because you just know you love designing apps, but you have no understanding of UX. I had no understanding of UX. I think it was kind of baked into me because I've been doing digital for so long, right? That I kind of, it's, it's kind of like speaking a language and you, you kind of halfway broken, brokenly kind of talk and you can get your point across. And now eight, nine years or later, 10 years later, I'm returning to it with the full language. So now I, I, can, I, can, I can attack it from the perspective of user research, doing my own user research, um, doing, you know, user, you know, all, all the things that I, because I jumped right, right into visual. I, I will always be a visual designer. So that's my comfort zone. But now so, I attack it differently. So explain to me your strategy for user research then. In general, or or in terms on, of this on, on this this project, uh, so I, there are two or three folks who, uh, and, and so so my my strategy is who's my audience, obviously, and you know, you could say the audience should be everybody. Well, it can't be everybody. You have to start with somebody. So it's guys like me who I know enough that I can do good things and get results, but I am not an expert. So. I, I'm pulling in people that I know, friends who are at kind of my level, maybe a little better, maybe a little worse, where, you know, they can, they know enough, but, you know, push them a little bit more to have more impact when you're, when you are doing a workout. Um, and then, and, and then just letting them go, right? So, so then what, what I do is I, I ask them, and this is very loose, right? Like I could create four, you know, like forms and send them to, to fill out, but, I'll meet with them and I'll just ask them, you know, what did you do? What, what did you write down? There, there's one guy that writes down everything. I, I, you know, scan, like take a picture, send it to me. I want to see kind of how you think about how you write these things out. Um, did you take breaks? Did you walk away for 10? Like, I'll do that. I'll walk away for 10 minutes looking at my phone, which is the worst thing. I hate that. So, oh, that's an interesting user challenge. How do you stop that? Can, can you block the phone entirely and with a screen that, you know, sarcastically tells you to put the phone down? Um, I get all that feedback, but then I am my own user researcher as well. So I, because I'm making it for myself, I'm constantly taking notes about, I really wish I could pick up my phone and do this, or I really wish I could look at my watch. I'm not wearing an Apple watch right now, but wearing I'm an Apple watch. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. Like it's just it's just a watch. Sorry, guys. Um, and you know what? What would I want to do to to speed up the process of getting through a workout without literally having to do look at look at anything? So in terms of user research, it's loose. I pull in feedback, and then once I get to a place where we could start testing something, then we'll take that that next step. But it's not very formal. I, I'm making it a point for it to not be formal. Um, I, I, I it love just that. feels. It just feels like the more formal, the more formal I make it, the less fun it'll it'll be. And right now, if I'm not having fun doing this, it's it's going to be a real drag, which is not a great business expression of the idea. I'm very serious about the idea, but if it gets very rigid and very hard, um, then it's not enjoyable. And if it's not enjoyable, well, then I might as well take this this attitude that I have and and put that energy towards something. If if that makes sense. When I joined uh, the startup that I'm at now, I came from a bigger company and then before that, an even bigger company, one of the biggest companies. And even at the second company, the process for understanding and like getting awareness, uh, discovery was very slow, right? 
and discovery kind of, of the software or your disco- own process? discovery of of like what you should do to, to oh. fit the user's needs and yeah. then i moved to the startup and i knew that it would be fast paced but i didn't realize i was going from step one to ten like like so fast that it's harsh yeah. i didn't even know how to count and it it is it is harsh. It's it, 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 it's it's a kind of like a get, got some skid marks on my butt, but it's like it's so much more fun when you're just like, all right, well, I have some direction, I can get a nice feeling about it. Uh, but it was so interesting going from a large company to a small company where the the research was about more about the convincing of other people in the company to do something rather than actually finding the truth, and how much data or how much of an inference do you think you really need to understand intuitively what you should do let let let's dig into kind of the the evolution of well so i was going to say of a of a startup going from a small group as a designer or as a as a design culture or department into a large one you went from large to small i think is what i heard right yeah yeah I went from small to large. So it's kind of like the, the evolutionary track of that, I guess, makes more sense. But to be honest with you, what I've learned is that there is no right or wrong. It, you just take what you learn, and you plug it into what the hell they need, and then you learn more. And you that's like the line is not linear. The line is just everywhere. And you just keep learning as you go, right? So so when what I... At site plan, what I learned for 10 and under a very rigid leadership, right, that re- requires the very best. Um, I mean, in a small startup culture, if you're the only designer, you have to do everything. Yeah. And that's fine because people can kind of do everything, right? I, I, I know the argument where it's like, you don't want to be the jack of all trades. I agree with that. But guess what? If you're in a, sm- if you're in a small startup and by, and just so your audience understands, what that really means is, you have, if you're working for a, a, a honest company that will allow you to have equity, you know, options in the company, you, you, you are now invested in the company. So you have to drop the mantle of, I don't want to be the everyman. You know, I, I, let's, let's have this beautiful design department where I have a UX writing, UX right. Yeah, I'm, I'm really taking it to the extreme. UX writer, UX researcher. And that won't exist. You just have to do everything because that's just the way the business is. But you learn a lot and you realize how quickly you can learn and become a better designer by getting in the fire and just doing the work. Because if you don't do the work, then the company will fail. That's just, you know, if you're in a a team of five people. Okay, so I talked about that in the last podcast. I I won't get into that. But when you transition to a larger, so so it was basically me through, no, me and others. That would be very clear. It wasn't just me. It was me for like four or five years. You, you were there. Roman was there. There were people kind of coming in and out. But I was like the anchor. Mm-hmm. I did not know enough. And, and this is where I think I did a poor job. But my mentors later told me kind of, you know, this is the approach that you should take, which is every, they, they said every quarter, I would say every half year, every six months, you should sit down and literally write out the things that you're doing. And then next to them, write out what have you learned from them? And I don't mean like every little thing, but it's like, you know, just by nature of being the only designer and, and not having a, 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 a well-oiled machine in terms of, of feature development, I became the UX writer. What I learned was that I got really good at UX writing, right? 
like at Smart Rent, I'm known as the guy that says words are hard. I'm always, I'm constantly reminding people, you have no idea how hard it is to write a sentence in, in software. But I got really good at it. Looking back, I would have then started formalizing like a process around at this point in time, I will start the UX writing, right? Not before. It's all jammed together. I just kind of did everything and it just kind of worked out, right? You take all of your learning and you take it to the next, whatever your next career shift is, and you try to plug in what, what, you, can, what you can serve. And there, there are kind of two parts to be working in a large, you, you talked about working in a small company, a startup, right? I think your challenge is that a large company, and I'm jumping around a little bit, sorry, because there, there's a lot on this, right? In a large company, what I, so, so you learn this. Now I am learning this. You've kind of gone through this, where, which is you cannot go in with this fire to get everything done. You know, people are going to be like, yo, you, you got to stop. You're embarrassing yourself, please, right? Like I, we, we know you're a good designer, but there, there's a reason why we have a process because a large company is a machine, right? If a startup is just fireworks, a large company is the warehouse that's churning out the fireworks and then it goes off, churning out the fireworks and it's very methodical. So you have to tailor your energy and your skill set to their processes. It sounds like you did a, I mean, you are smart as a whip. You, 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 you can, and, and, you're, and you're able to plug in and evolve and kind of change how you work to the large company. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm assuming they had a, feature process, a design life cycle process that you would follow grudgingly, maybe to a degree. What, at, at the big company or the small company? At the big company, at the big company. I mean, I'll be honest, uh, my team was responsible for actually defining that. That's even better. So, that's, that's even better. Yeah. But that, that's key, is that mm -hmm. obviously it was needed, so, so you were the one that came up with it because you saw a need. Now you're taking that to a startup. I think your challenge, I'm totally guessing. I think your challenge is that you have now been exposed to what a large company needs. So imagine creating a machine in a box this big and it's working perfectly, right? At least, you know, you have to oil it. You have to kind of keep things going. And then you take this big box and the company is not even as big as the box. So you <laughs> have to take everything and shrink it down. And then you have to be able to pull it out entirely and say, this feature is needed tomorrow. You know, this, this exercise is needed tomorrow or in two days. I cannot even use this box. Mm -hmm. so, so I think the advantage you have is that I did not have it at SitePlan, me, like as a designer. I didn't have this like compartmentalized like structure that I can plug into and know that my version of how I work on it, how I design a feature will, will produce a very high level quality feature. You have your own version of that. But in a startup, you have to throw that out and then fall back on your instincts to, create, to just to design something great, right? Mm -hmm. That's really, really hard because, and, and this is where I don't know how much we are similar, but I, when, when I'm challenged with all that, all that great stuff that we hired you for that you're great at, we don't care about it right now. Throw it away and design something quick that feels like an attack as a designer, what it, it's not. I mean, and obviously, if you look back on something, you know it's not. What you end up having to do is you have to take kind of a calculated approach and say, they're right. 
I cannot use this machine that I've created. I just have to dig in because I'm a good designer, a great designer, you're a great designer, and just design it, right? It's really, really hard to, to, to go back and forth between those, at least for me. Yeah, I think that the one thing I'll, I'll add on to what you said, because I agree with all of it, is that I think one reason why we were the ones to define that process was mm -hmm. mostly because I was one of the very few people in the entire company who mastered the tool. And I used the techniques that you taught me, exactly how you taught me it. I actually applied those and scaled them up. And so, fantastic. So, so thank you. So, those things were what I think helped lead us to then saying, okay, well, now that we know how to master the tool and we know how to wield it better than most other designers, which was Sketch, mm -hmm. then uh, we know how to output a much higher quality and, and and a much higher quality result faster. And we were able to optimize our process around that from the constraints that we had in that box, right? What would be then one of the more recent things based on what you said before, you said that you write something down and then you save what you learned from it. What is the most mm -hmm. recent thing that you learned? So that that's a, that's a really great question because I've I have kind of taken on the mantle of design ops. So, so coming up with a design process and I want to make sure let's separate something. So, and, and this kind of touches upon what we were talking about on Slack too, which is like, there are processes that I can create in a tool, like a design system, right? Like you always use the design system. That's, that's in the structure of sketch or, or Figma, whatever. So, but then there's process around what do you do at any given time? Is there a discovery phase where I don't even understand the pro which by the way, that, that, that's a problem that a lot of teams have, which is I would just handed this, this problem to design. I have, I don't even understand the problem still. How, how can I design a solution? So there's discovery, there's iteration, there's, there's a full design, you know, where do those things happen? And you might use different tools along the way. So it's kind of like I'm at a macro level, I think what you touch upon is more of a, if you take one sliver and you, and you input the tool like sketch, then there are micro processes. I don't know. You know, th there are, there well, are steps. Well, okay. Well, let, let me actually interject it real quick. You're, sure. you're talking about creating a monolith of a process that's cookie cutter enough for anyone to follow at a big company, because there's a lot of other constraints at play. My mm -hmm. question though, with that though, is, I'm able to do that without all the steps. I go from step one to 10. It's I, I figure out what we need by just reading a couple of feedback that the user would, would, would send us or that we just discussed as, as um, a problem where we, we realize they're not clicking the right thing and they're doing something mm -hmm. different, like very much like one of the problems that we solved at, at SitePlan. And I'll mm -hmm. get into that in a second, but sure. uh, there is no, I need to convince my other two founders about uh, the the A-B testing of it or or this or that. It's like we're right now in a phase of we're figuring out what is working, what's not, guessing as to how to make it better, and then designing a mock-up of is this good enough to, to build so that we know what we're actually going to build. And then the next day, it's literally done. So, wow. gotcha. uh, you know, it's, it's amazing. I, I've never it's worked fantastic. on a company where I put something 
on in Figma, and even before I finished in Figma, it's already built in in development in prod. That's so, amazing. Yeah, um, we'll see how that works out. But uh, that's my process right now. I'm actually the the um, the one with tar on my feet. I'm actually slowing down the company because I can't move pixels fast enough so that the developer can code it. Like he can code it faster than I can move it in pixels, which is insane. So uh, that's why it's a little different from my situation where your situations, again, like I said before, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of it's about persuasion because you want to make sure you're doing the right thing and not moving yes. everyone in the wrong direction all of a sudden. Cause it's a, it's a giant cruise ship. If you're spinning it on a dime, you're going to throw people off the boat. Right. So, so the question is, so, so, but this is a really important question. Okay. Is it a you problem or is it a them problem? And what I mean by that is I, I would dig into, and this is where it's like, I'm the guy in the room that asks, can you pose the question differently? Right. Um, which is, do you think that, that the challenge you have is is truly because you need to work faster. And by the way, I mean, you know me, I, I worked in, in a culture where I couldn't have worked any faster, right? And you can, <laughs> yeah, get, you yeah. can, get, you can get great results that way, yeah. right? Or is, is the question, I could put 180% of myself into this work faster and the quality could, could go down but at least the, the one amazing engineer is, I'm keeping up with him, her. Him. Is, is, is the problem that, or is it, we should take a step back and, un, and, and actually, and this is hard to do in a startup because it's all about build, 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 build. So the, listen, at the end of the day, the answer is you need to keep up with them, right? But just for a second, do you think that, that, slowing down to your pace, which is probably super damn fast, would allow what would allow everybody to consider the problem a little bit more. Like what what end of the spectrum do you think that that challenge is? Uh, yeah, that's a great, great question. And there's a lot of dichotomy to that question because it's, it's very contextual. Um, the the users we're trying to solve for we kind of have an understanding of who they are, but we don't have built out personas like we did at SitePlan, right? Where they were on the wall, they had a picture and a story behind them and whatever. We don't have that. We don't have like a formal research process where we ingest the research and then we send it off to somebody to analyze and then they create a table of statistics and then we all go over it in a presentation. We don't have that either. Mm -hmm. We literally are talking to somebody trying to get them to use the product, seeing what would help them use the product and figuring out, is that something that other people need to? Right. If that is something that other people need, we build it. There is no question about it, right? There's something beautiful about that though. It, it's gorgeous. I, I love this process because it's, first of all, it's fun. And every yeah. day I'm building something new, literally every day. I'm building a new feature every single day. And that's something that I like usually it's like a week or two or three or four for just like one thing. Sometimes it's like uh, six months, but this is literally a new thing every day. And every feature could be its own company. That's how big these things are. <laughs> you, you sell like me eight years ago. It's like, <laughs> I mean, that, not like, like you, that that's, and, and, and I remember it's a roller coaster, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, well, I'm sorry, were you going to say anything else on that? Yeah, I was I, just going to say that, that the, it's almost like an art form of how to get things done. Yeah. And I wonder if bigger companies could then leverage the same mindset because if it's just about convincing people, then fire the people that are not easy to convince, that are not like, not easy to convince, but like, that are not able to just get on board and move and they have to slow everyone else down just because they're not trying to keep up and you're trying to convince them to keep up. Whereas all three of us, because there's only three of us in this startup, we're literally every single day talking about the thing that we're building, what needs to be improved. Mitchell, you missed this 500 things. And then, you know, uh, it's already built, you know, go check it and make sure it's working and there's no bugs. Uh, and then I'm going to show that they, they actually talk to the user. So they're going to go present this to a user like the next day. So we're getting constant feedback in the studio feedback cycle. And it's hard. But uh, to answer your original question, I do think that I need to work faster and worry less about the pixels, but still maintain that balance of high quality work and getting things done, which is the ultimate, you know, problem every designer faces. But yeah, uh, yeah I mean... That's all I'll say about that. Getting to, to what you just said. So, so I, I'm going to change, I, I'm going to take back my answer and, and say, forget asking a question differently. It's you're just in a startup right now, man. And you just <sighs> literally have to work as fast as you can. That's but why, the reality but why do, maybe you know the answer to this. Why do large companies not have the same mindset? Okay. So this is theory, right? I, I, I could be wrong. One is survival, right? A big company doesn't have a survival mentality. A big company ha employs hundreds, if not thousands of people, including you know quite a few in your own department. There is no fire under anyone's butt to, to have that energy, right? Like you literally just told me that you, know, you go in every day and you are quickly solving problems you're designing. I can't even keep up with this one amazing engineer. That to me is a beautiful problem. I, I miss those days of, listen, we all understand the problem. Fuck user research. Fuck, you know, I hate to say it, but there is a place at which the, this beautiful use, UX flow, it's, it's not going to work, guys. We, we got to speed it up and get to the end. So you're there right now, right? In a big company, you are allowed to ask those questions, right? Like, you know, you can't do user research on every single feature, but you could do on, on some big ones. The problem is the pressure, right? Like, like there is such a thing as, as pressure to get work done in a company, large or small. Usually in a small company, it's because if we don't do rapid work fast, the company will fail. We have to meet customer demands. That's an easy one. That's easy, right? Like it's my own survival at stake. I want to eat. I want to be a great designer. So I get to design things. It's, it's just I'm at warp speed designing things. So it's kind of like, well, you, you have that squared away. In a big company, you kind of slip into the company and the only, now you can have a really like, whether they're, you know, they're positive or negative, whatever the, the, the personality is, you could have a manager like I, I, I tend to push people because I want to see great work coming out of them, right? So, so, so I'll go in a critique and I'll, I'll, I'll push people, right? Um, but 
there could be managers that are are brutal on on employees because they're just that's just their their personality. That's a form of pressure, but that's kind of artificial. Well, it's all artificial; it's business. But you know, like that that's something coming from one person. But if the culture of the company is hot, and I'll use Apple as an example because I can't. It's cliche, but I can't think of anyone else, and I I've never worked there. I have to assume that even after they were a huge company and Steve Jobs came back, if you have a leader emphasizing quality, and I don't know about speed, but quality, listen, just just keeping software and hardware at a high level is really hard to do. So there's pressure to do that. A lot of companies, large companies, there's no, there is no inert pressure except you maybe putting it on yourself. So to me, the answer is actually kind of easy, which is, the bigger a company is, the more the water spreads out, right? So it's, it's like in a startup, you're just in this deep tank and you just, you can't look at the bottom. You just have to keep working. In a large company, you're just standing in this pool and we're all just kind of mulling around doing stuff. But I know I can rely on a hundred other people that they're going to, you know, it's kind of like the, the, the ship. I'm not, I'm not powering the ship. The ship is moving. I can just kind of move along with it. So I think it's by nature of outside pressures that force you to do a lot of work or it comes from, from yourself. But a large company is definitely not one that, that is just a natural form of, of high-paced pressure to work unless it's coming from – the only, the only form of pressure that I have seen work in, in, in a company is a, is a top-level leader that just requires excellence. That's what seems to put – the right amount of pressure on people to work at a high pace. It sounds like pressure is, so if there's physics around businesses and, and improving quality of work and, and, and pushing out products, pressure is required from top down in order to get either working at a smaller company, there is smaller volume. So the pressure is greater. And at larger companies, the pressure is felt less because the volume is greater that it just you don't, you don't feel it as immediate but if you have someone that is really pressuring you then yeah you're going to have that same kind of output but it seems like that's kind of like the physics behind it would that would you agree with that i think you summed it up perfectly i i okay. really do i i i i think that's right yeah and and i don't think pressure is a bad thing to be honest with you the very best work i did was under huge time constraints where he, you know and now, now there, I, I think I said in the last podcast, there, there is a line in the sand where too much pressure is just bad for your mental health. But I have met quite a few folks over the years where they have only experienced a culture, even in great design-led larger companies, where the attitude is, is less about, I need to do the very best work I can to... I'm doing great work and there's not a lot of pressure. I'm just delivering. And then they'll go to another company and then another company. And, and they, they never really, and what I'm saying doesn't mean it's true. It's just what, like what I have seen is that I think there's something to be like, I am so happy that you are in a company that is rapid firing the way they are, because man, we, we want to talk about a life, a career defining life experience as a designer working in, in a very high pressure cooker, like you can't do it your entire career, right? Like I did it for, 
I'm no one special, but I did it for, I think the pressure was there about six, seven years. And then it's, it, it, the larger the company got, the more kind of spread out. Even, even in that leadership style, you felt it a little less. But man, you know, there was a core three, four years where most of the lessons that I had taken to Smart Rent, if, if I can help in any way, was because I was in that pressure cooker to do great work. And I've expressed that to designers that have never, that, that, that would excel, that are better designers than I, I think I'll ever be. But they haven't had that moment in time where somebody is like, if we don't do this now, bad things could happen to the company. And I think that, that allows, once you've been through that, now I'm just waxing philosophy as a designer though, but once you've been through that, like I'm sure that you coming out of the, the larger company experience of creating like your processes and things, like now if somebody were asked you to do it, you'd be like, sure, no problem. Other designers would be like, oh my God, I can't take this on. In a small company, once you've been through that ringer, right? That, and it's hard, it's really hard. But once you've been through it, then it's kind of like, dude, you can go anywhere and you've already seen how much pressure you could put on yourself. So then it all feels less um, life-threatening, right, to your career. Like, I just, I'm not going to be able to do it. So I okay. think there's something to be said for going through what you're going through. So let's shift gears a little bit because I want to talk about specifically something that has to do with this. And it's the mindset going into it, right? When you're the only designer, it's... You, you know, you don't really even worry about mindset. You're just getting shit done. You know, you're in that survival mode. There's no time to think about mindset. But you also uh, mentioned to me that there's a, a different perspective of a mindset from a leadership uh, kind of view. So can you touch on that as to what you meant by that and how that is different than, I guess, the, the other levels of the mindset that needs to be uh, required to strengthen uh, that mental fortitude that is is needed to really just get things done at a scale that you might have not worked in before? From a leadership perspective? Yeah. Uh, in we terms of design? Because we were yeah. talking about before that, um, you know, there, there's like, we, we talk often a lot about like lower level designers or or freelancers, mm -hmm. and I say low level, not like skill wise, but like in the hierarchy of a company, you know, the difficulty is navigating politics of, of shitty clients of, um, you know, of just kind of being looked at as like a zoo animal, in some cases, some things that my, my other new co host, Logan is, is talking with me about, um, and how that kind of changes based on the size of the company. And um, it's interesting, because I, I wouldn't be considered necessarily a, a leader at a company, uh, but I did lead projects. But I think that you would be more considered a leader at a company uh, in the design realm and wondering what do you need to strengthen your mindset to take on that challenge of that role? Gotcha. Yeah, I, I understand now. That, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. So, so, I mean, I am 43. And I feel like I'm just now, I'm just now gaining the confidence that I can, I can provide what a designer and I see needs to push them to a place where they're doing their, their, their best work. Right. Um, so when I, when site, so 
I'm trying to answer the question, but it, it takes me to kind of run through, you know, the last couple of years. So real quick, and then we'll, we'll land on you know, kind of the leadership and what I think it takes. I had always been an IC, right? So I spent 10 years in branding, 10 years, you know, seven, eight years at, as a product designer, kind of doing everything, right? I had high level insecurity, low level confidence. I just kind of, I was able, again, like I, I, I don't want to sound arrogant. I just I somehow churned out good enough work to keep surviving and keep going. You, to your point, what you just said is totally true, which is when you're in the, and pressure cooker is not the right term. It sounds super negative. I, I, I loved my experience at Cyclone. But in that pressure cooker, you don't think about the ways in which you are failing or succeeding as a designer. You're just going, 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 going. And you'll just wait for a leader to tell you if you fucked up or if it's, if it's amazing, even though it's kind of like, you know, positive feedback's great, but how is it helping the company? Anyway, so I spent that long doing that, not even thinking about it. And I think most designers have a level of insecurity that, that, that forces or pushes them to keep trying to solve a problem until it's the very best solution you can come up with. I spent a number of years just feeling extremely insecure as a product designer. Like I had no user research, user, user experience, research feedback, anything like that. I'm just churning it out and having no idea if anything is good. Then you get to a certain place, some longer than others, took me a long time to get here, where you look back and you see all the great work you did, you know, not really biased, but just kind of like, I should have seen that then. But you take that experience. And then when site plan sold and I was moved into a manager position, I had the same insecurities again. It's like, I don't, I don't know how to lead people. My God. And, and who am I to lead a team of designers if I feel insecure that I, you know, and I, I would literally talk to friends. They're like, dude, you just spent nine years. Like they just sold. Like, what are you, what the fuck are you talking about, man? But it's your own insecurity. And I think most designers, I think the best designers are the ones that have a little bit of insecurity around the quality of their work. And I don't mean they're not confident. It's just, I got to try a little harder, a little harder, a little harder, and I I will somehow get there. But boy, you know, it's hard. Once I got to a management position, I dove in, you know, step one is just dive in and do it. Just dive in and do it, no matter how scared you are. And I get trepidations about everything. But what I learned really quickly was that every single time, remember, I I touched upon how like I, I started doing design ops kind of building. I had no idea that I was doing design ops building. I would just step in and, and I would see great things. And then like, this, this needs to get fixed. And then I would just come up with a solution that helps the entire team, the process, whatever, because of all, all the experience I had before, I knew what, what worked well. I knew what didn't work well. It's like, you don't want to live in JIRA all day long. But you got to have a little bit there to keep everybody kind of consistent and moving, right? You learn the balances about things. That's just experience, right? I don't, I don't know how designers move into manager positions so quickly without that much experience and, and, and excel at it. That's amazing to me. So coming out the other end, there's just one key thing that I think separate, well, two, two things that, that separates what I consider to be a great leader that I try to emulate. One is confidence. 
right? Which is really difficult for, for me to exude because I, I feel like I'm constantly learning. But I'm very confident that I've had so much experience under my belt that I can offer ways to push through these problems. But if you walk into, if you walk into a meeting and you're like, I don't know, man, we're going to figure it out together, then your designer is just going to be like, well, why? I'll just go and figure it out myself if you don't know what you're doing either. So there, there's a level of expertise and confidence that you can provide and say, we're going to get through this. We're going to try this. I, and and I'll, t- I'll tell them the, the war stories around like, hey, you know, I went in this direction and it failed miserably. And let me tell you why. But it allowed me to gain confidence, right? The other piece that I think for me is critical to be a great design leader, right? And this is where it's like, I think, I think a great design leader can push designers like, des- you know, underneath you, your, your designers to become better designers. That's confidence. That's critiquing. That's, that's knowing when to push them, you know, some, and then encouraging them to go out outside their, their boundaries. Right. But then you have to push up to the, the political realm of like, you know, like I, I had this huge push for accessibility in smart rent and we have an amazing designer who does accessibility. She's like an expert at accessibility. And so you have to navigate those waters, but the experience that I had as, as a designer Working direct. So let me ask you a question, Mitch. Do you work directly with the executive level? Assuming you do. Uh, executive level is just the co-founder. So it's us three people. So yeah, it's, it's Bingo. us. <laughs> Bingo. One thing I learned like with Joseph is that I just thought I was just, it's, it's, it's just Joseph. And we're going to yeah. get in the room. He has always been the president of the, looking back, it's like he, he has always had the same attitude, which is president of the company. He's exe- executive level. And you have to sell him. You have to sell ideas to executive level. And you have to get comfortable with that. When you're in a big company, the ladder feels like it's all the way up here. Mm-hmm. So what I always tell designers is, let's get this in front of this person. I'll carve out 15 minutes and be an ambassador to them. Because there is a level of discomfort that even though this is just a human being and they have their own set of problems navigating a, a business... they're they're not approachable and you have to have the confidence to tell your designers i have been through the ringer i've been you know i did 10 years working directly with the president of the company and guess what it's really not any different they just have a very vocal opinion and you have to learn how to navigate so being an ambassador for your designers based on your experience where you can bring them to the table and allow them to present all you're doing is saying, I did this. What I'm telling you to do, I did this and it worked. Use my experience and I, and I will help you. It's kind of like, I'll hold your hand the first couple of times. Next time, if you have an idea and it's strong enough, I'm going to set up a meeting and I'm going to take a step back and you do it, right? So I think that guidance as, as an experienced designer, kind of like you're always in the trenches with them, but you know how to get up there based on your experience, I think that's totally key. So experience and confidence to boil it down has helped me um, do whatever it is I've done so, so far in a, in a leadership position. I like that. I like that a lot. And to add on to that, you know, you, you've been a mentor to me post site plan and during site plan uh, and using a lot of those lessons I was able to apply those to helping to create different products that didn't exist, uh, to lead teams of up to 200 people, 
and so forth, so forth, so forth. Now I'm back to square one where I am the team <laughs> creating the design and trying to go back to the drawing boards. They're like, all right, well, what what was it that really worked? So it's nice to hear that how you're outlining it because although I'm not at that stage yet because we don't have anyone else, it's just us three. It's, the, it's basically the PM, the engineer, and me, the designer. Um, but we're working on, on that all together. There is no ego in, in our relationship because That's there can't awesome. be, it's, it's just, there's no pot, there's no room for ego. Um, even if we had it, it's gone. Um, and there's, there's not the, the more and those are the nicest people alive. I highly recommend you reach out and just talk that I can introduce you. They're great people. Um, but the, you know, having that need to then be the springboard for other designers is something that I would really love to engage in, in the future. Um, that's something that you're currently doing and helping to kind of give them the opportunities. Uh, it seems like that's like a key element. Like leaders give opportunities. They help elevate everyone else. They don't like to just sit on top of other people and push them down. Yeah. I, I think you summed it up. I have had two types of managers ones that tell me what to do and, and see, see I'm, I'm such a great worker bee that I, I can spend my entire career just doing what I'm being told right it's just you can't spend your entire life doing that or the other type of leader that I try to be are the ones that push me to do work that they then can use as a way to express the level of work that you're, that this designer is doing. It's like, I want to go, like literally I've had managers say, listen, that idea you had last week, you know, and by the way, listen to ideas that, that designers have, right? Because hopefully we have a ton of, you know, ideas, you know, most ideas suck, but if you get them all out there, there are going to be a few real winners, right? And if you have a manager that's like, would you, would you give me those, right? And then work on them a little bit. Like, like last two, two sprints ago, I had a designer who had an amazing idea. I was like, this is awesome. And, and it was an idea how to improve our, our, our design process, right? And I said, tell me more. Well, I don't have anything more. Figure it out. Tell me more. Like, I, like, and this is where it's like, I always tell people like, I never like telling people what to do because you guys are self-sufficient. Like, really, I'll just, I'll give you, you know, suggestions but it was like, this is the one time where I'm like, carve out two hours, figure it out. I will defend th those two hours if anyone, you know, asks, which, you know, like two hours, it's fine. And they developed this idea. And I said, we're going to take this to the executive team because I want this to happen. And they were just, they were, I did it for two reasons. One is I really like seeing the look on a designer's face when, when they're, they're challenged, but then the reward is they're being acknowledged, Right. Because that is what keeps the designer happy and happy designers keep producing great work, whether you're under pressure or not. But the other thing is, it is literally a great idea. Like I'm selfish, right? Like if I'm designing kind of the processes and things and somebody has an idea, I'll full on tell them, I, I want that idea and I want to implement it. So, but you need, but you own it. I'm not going to take your idea. So the ability to be an ambassador to designers to to allow them to gain the confidence that like you have that confidence you 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 have done enough where you own processes and programs and 
all this, all of the, these things you've done, and you'll, you'll, and you said it, you'll probably at a certain point, you'll want to express that to your designers. Like, like, Hey guys, let's, let's, let's take an idea, push on the idea, produce something. And if it floats, let's, let's pitch it to the executive level. Like you were probably the type of, the, the type of personality that wants others to succeed as well. Um, by the way, one really, really quick thing that, this is something that I did not do at SiteClaim that I really wish I could have. Sure. Um, so I'm going to give this to you. Joseph always told me early on, you own design. I'm looking to you to build whatever it is we need to build in the, I don't mean features. I just mean the design department, right? Even though you're one person, I will defend, not defend. I will push out these ideas around how we operate as, as, a, as a design department product it was product and design mm-hmm. you own it i never ever considered that a true statement looking back it was i failed in terms of moving into a leadership position early i chose kind of probably subconsciously to remain in ic and you know at one point he even said like you know i gave you a lot of opportunities and you want to remain kind of focused on the design and, and that's okay Looking back, I would have done things differently. Every, you know, three, six months, I would have evaluated what works really well. Dude, if you're a team of one, then you, what you're saying is you are a department of one. You own all the processes and programs and everything. Those are cold terms, but like all the things that produce a great end result. At SitePlan, I just worked, 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 worked. And some, somehow it worked, it, it worked out, but I never, ever took a step back every three months or so and made a list of things like, Joseph, we should do it this way. We should, do, we should hire this because I can't do it well. I never did that. So my recommendation for any designer who's ambitious um, in a startup and you're one person, two things. One is always remember that you are not just looked on as a designer. You are, you are design. You are design in the company, meaning you have the blessing to own how the department is going to be as a culture. And then two is every three to six months, write down things that really are, that don't work well, and then pitch ideas on how to solve it, right? Like, hey, we should have a, a, a design critique Every two weeks, whether there's something to show or not, where we get together and we push hard on any idea, whatever that is. And if you have a great team, they'll say, okay, I trust you. So you go from an IC position to more of it. I mean, you're an IC, but you are pitching great ideas that can formulate the structures in which you, like you can own the type of department you work in and you literally will evolve to a place where you're just, you're just running a department. And so I highly recommend you taking time out to always consider what's working well, what's not, and then figure out how to fix those things. Because I didn't. I wish I had. That's great advice. And I am, for the, for, just for the record, I am taking notes of things that I've been working on. But now I should go back and actually add, okay, what did I, like, what's the result for me? Not just for the company, but for me. What did I learn from those things. So that, that's definitely an addition. I'm going to add to that. I'm going to try to figure out how to organize a lot better because now I'm like more interested in this. Um, and also it helps understand progress, right? 
if you're able to look back every three, six months, you're going to have after a year or two, a lot of things that you can look back and like, oh, wow, actually, I did learn a lot of stuff. Oh, actually, I am a different person than I was two years ago. Uh, all right. So last question um, for now. Definitely want to have you back. Always. You're always, you are right now, you're in tie, you're tied with Logan for number of episodes appearing in uh, on the pod. Okay. So uh, you got to beat him. You know, he's my co-host now. So you got to beat him now. Got to come on more than All him. right. Uh, but the question I want to ask you that I didn't ask you last time. Yeah. And this is something we started doing more episodes into the podcast. You and I talked this entire episode of how we are shaping the design world and, and using design to shape things around us. Mm-hmm. How has design shaped you? Ooh, Oof, that's a very meta, meta question. How has design shaped me? Um, huh. I think design has allowed me to see that quality really matters a lot in your life. That every that everything we some of this is cliche, obviously, but like everything we we touch is designed. So you always want to take a step back and think about, you know, the quality, the the design of something that you're going to use, even like a mug, right? Like you just have a different way of looking at your day to day experience and. And also there, there's an acceptance that great design costs a little extra, right? Because like we literally sell our services as designers. So, so there, there, there's an acceptance that, you know, high quality should have a cost to it because we know that it's funding those designers to continue doing work. So I, I generally look at my life and well, not my life, but you know, like my, my day to day in terms of, you know, if I'm going to use something over and over and over and over, I am not just going to go to Walmart and buy something and it'll break apart. Right. So I, I think there's a, there's an awareness of, of quality and things I try to gravitate towards. I, I, I try to look at, at, or I try to use things that were made with some kind of uh, amount of love, right? Like, you know, this came from a mom and pop and, and uh, they, they put a lot of effort into it. And you kind of start seeing life in terms of like, you know, there are a lot of people making things and I want to support that. So it, it opens your eyes a little bit to that. In terms of my, um, in, in terms of my life and I guess to a degree my, my career, um, and, and this is something that I, I kind of, it, it's strange to say this, but it's true that I, in the last couple of months, having evaluated my entire career and where I'm at now, um, I am very comfortable saying or stating that I'm not the type of person that just goes into a factory, checks in, does some stuff, checks out. Like there are some designers that do that. I know for a fact that I want, if, if I'm going to spend eight hours every weekday of my life toiling away at something, I need to have a passion for it, which is really selfish. Um, I need to really care about, like really care about what I'm doing. And 
I need to work. I need, like, I need this. Such a, it, it's really arrogant, I, but I need to work in an environment. I don't mean company, you know, I, I'm using a very loose term. I, I need to work amongst people that really care about what we're building. And I've learned that about myself. Like, like, you know, I'm sure you, if you've worked with folks that just, you could tell they just kind of don't care. Like they're there and they'll agree to your thing. That is like a major psychotic annoyance that I have, right? Like if I'm not in a room with people that are going to be engaged on what I'm talking about with the same level of passion, um, then I don't really want to talk to them. Not, not be like, I can grab a beer with them after work. Like this isn't, this isn't a human condition thing. This is just a, if I care about this as much, if, if I care about this with a certain level of energy and passion, my expectation is that you should as well, because we're literally working on the same thing. And if you don't, then shouldn't you kind of question like why you're doing this thing? Because I think the passion that we have to design great things leads to great things. So I've become like, even from the last time we spoke on, on the last podcast, I have kind of solidified my belief that, you know, I want to spend the rest of my career in some capacity, environment, group of people, company, whatever it is, my own idea, working with people that show up and just want to like you, like, I, I want to be surrounded by designers that care so much that they're willing to just work, iterate, iterate, iterate until we're at the end. And I think, I think because I'm a, so, so now taking this to your question, how has design affected your life? I think my, my design has, has affected my life in that if we're really really care about design design is 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 just the nature in, in which we build something beautiful and and high high quality if we're the ones building those things then you just you might as well go all in and accept the fact that you really care a lot about the pixel being left or right whatever like i want that same passion to the guy the girl whoever to the left to the right of me I want that energy in a room. And to your point, like where you're at right now, there's something so freaking beautiful about three people all there, not because the meeting was on the calendar. That, that's kind of another big business thing. It's like, well, there's another meeting. It's like, well, yeah, I put a meeting on your calendar because let's get together and, and tackle this problem that we should all care about. You are right now in a beautiful position where you are working with people that I think all care as much as you do and they look at it from different lenses. So the way in which design has affected me is that I care a lot about what I'm designing and, and I think it carries out into my, my professional life. I just love really beautiful things and I wanna build beautiful things and I wanna be surrounded by people like you that also care at a very high level. So I, I, I think that answers the question, I think. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for, for sharing that. And I really appreciate you coming on the pod. You got it, man. It's been fun. We'll do it again. I hope so. I hope so. I got to clean up my office, but one day when I'm not working, I will. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. Thank you.